0: You are listening to Rabbi Arya Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. All right, welcome back everybody to the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. It is so wonderful to be back here with all y'all, continuing our discussion on kosher pork. But before we do that, my dear friends, I want to share with you where I'm coming from right now. So as many of you may know, Rabbi Lazar Brody, the great scholar and sage, is here in Houston. And he had a fabulous presentation last night here at the Torch Center and two nights ago at Torchwood, our new uh next generation community. And uh, he has been remarkable. I mean, last night he went to one of the shuls after the presentation here and we left there at about 12, a little bit after 12. Midnight, uh, he was talking there for about two hours, two and a half hours, uh, with, uh, about 30, 40 people who came to the shul to, uh, to get inspired. And it's his, his words are just, uh, pearls of wisdom that flow from his mouth. It's really amazing. So what happened? So this morning we have a program that we do whenever Rabbi Brody's in town. It's called the Hisbodidus Lab. And it, the idea is for everyone to get a chance, those who are interested, obviously, to get a chance to do Hisbodidos. What is Hisbodidos? So like we mentioned previously, Hisbodidos is a time to isolate yourself from the distractions of the world and be in perfect connection with Hashem. How does that work? It works by, first is being in a place where you don't have the distractions. So you don't have your phone, you don't have your car, you don't have your uh, computer and you don't have your radio and you don't have your headphones and you don't have anything. It's just you and the Almighty. No people, just you. So most people do this out in the fields. People go out in the yards. People go out to to forests, to to quiet places where you're in nature and it's beautiful and it's conducive to conversing with Hashem. It says, It says, Right, Lasuach basode. Yitzchak went out to, to talk in the fields. He was talking to Hashem. That's the mincha prayer that was instituted by Isaac, our patriarch. And what's incredible is that this opportunity to just close out the world, to shut out the world, and to just talk to Hashem. So in our pre-Hizbodedus huddle that we had, Rabbi Brody shared, Insights into how to maximize this incredible weapon, this tool to connecting to Hashem. The first stage, so there are three parts to it. The first stage is giving thanks to Hashem. Thanking Hashem for everything, starting from your head all the way down to your toes. Thanking Hashem for your mind. Thank you, Hashem. Thanking Hashem for your good looks, right, Right, Ed. Thanking Hashem for your eyes and ears and for your nose and for your mouth and going through the details and the gratitude that you have for each and every one of them. Stage number two, Rabbi Brody said that numerous occasions he doesn't even get to stage number two. He's just busy for an hour just thanking Hashem, crying his eyes out of appreciation and gratitude for the incredible gifts Hashem gives us. Stage two, is teshuva, repentance, asking Hashem for forgiveness and recognizing that Hashem gives us unbelievable potential. Hashem embeds in us to be the greatest human being ever created because you're the only human being that was ever created in you. You try to be someone else. You're not going to be the someone else, and you're not going to be you either. Just be you and sometimes we fall short of that, so we need to ask forgiveness, Hashem, I lost sight, I got carried away. I was uh attracted to the wrong things, I was attracted to money to career to to whatever it may be. Hashem, please forgive me, and to talk that out to talk out things that you feel that you need to repent. And our sages tell us, Rabbi Brody mentioned this, that for someone who does his bodudos every day, it's Yom Kippur every day. It's Yom Kippur every day, where every day you have a chance to have clarity. Every day you have a chance to have a clean slate and to start all over again. Today, today's a very powerful day. Today is Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni is the day where God created second chances. It's an unbelievable day. You don't see such a concept almost anywhere in the world. In any religion, Hashem created for us a holiday of second chances. If you were impure, you defiled your body by contact with a corpse, so you couldn't bring the offering Pesach time, the Paschal Lamb. Or if you were in a very distant land and you weren't able to make it to the temple for the holiday, so Hashem says, you know what? You're going to have a second chance. 30 days later, which is Pesach Sheni, which is today, exactly 30 days ago, was the beginning of Pesach. That if a person utilizes this opportunity, It's as if he did it properly the first time. Repentance, our sages tell us, turns true, proper repentance, takes the sin, and makes it into a mitzvah. Imagine that. Imagine someone sinned. They ate something they shouldn't eat. They did something they shouldn't have done. And then, they feel, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe Hashem gave me the opportunity to do the right thing, and I chose the wrong thing. And someone has remorse, and they seek atonement, and they talk to God directly and say, Hashem, please forgive me. Our sages say not only they're forgiven of that sin, but the sin became a mitzvah. How does the sin become a mitzvah? So we have a principle we talked about many times. We'll review it now. That anything that's a vessel, a vehicle through which you connect to Hashem is a mitzvah. What is a sin? A sin is something that distances you from God. What is a mitzvah? Something that brings you closer to God. Anything that is a vehicle to bring you closer to Hashem is a mitzvah. So if someone sinned, and the sin caused them to repent, so the sin became a vehicle through which they connected to Hashem. So the sin becomes a mitzvah now. That does not mean, the halacha warns us about this, that someone should say, let me sin, and I'll repent later. Echte ve'ashuv, let me sin, and I'll return. That our sages say, watch out, be very careful. For a number of reasons. But the main reason is because you may not get the opportunity to repent. You think you have forever. But you may not have forever. You may not have the opportunity to repent. You think you will. Because we feel like we have eternity. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm going to live forever. But we don't know what can happen today. We don't know what can happen tomorrow. Therefore, a person should never do that. A halacha says, don't say, don't say, I'll sin and I'll repent later. Repentance is such a powerful thing. So that's the second part of Hisbodidus. Part number one, give gratitude. Thanks, appreciation to Hashem for every gift He's given us. Part two is to repent. And part three is to ask Hashem for anything that we want. To ask Hashem to succeed our way, to get us that business deal, to succeed our relationships, to help our children, to help our finances, whatever it is that a person needs or wants, talk to Hashem. This is an opportunity. So I think it's an unbelievable gift. And by the way, interesting, interesting, that if you look at our prayers, you'll see that that's the structure of our prayers. If you look at our prayers, we start the morning off. How do we start with blessing, thanking Hashem? Thank you, thank you, thank you for my eyes, and thank you for my for my clothes, and thank you for making giving me the ability to stand upright, and thank you for all of the incredible gifts. And then we go all the way right to the Amidah, and we ask Hashem, we ask Hashem for wisdom, we ask Hashem for clarity, we ask Hashem for for, for forgiveness. Slachla Hashive <inaudible> Hashem return us closer to you. And then we start asking for health. We start asking for success. Ask, we ask, and then we end again with thanks. <inaudible> Thank you Hashem. Prayer is so powerful. Prayer, what prayer really means. And it, the problem is, is that most people think That prayer means walking into a synagogue and following along with the chazan. See, oh, I had a guy once in my class, you know, we used to teach a class in the synagogue of uh, Beit Rambam. And it used to be during the time of, really during the time of the Torah reading. People didn't know what was going on in synagogues. I said, come, we're going to do a class. We're going to learn the Parsha. For many years we did this class. And then the rabbi asked me. He says, "Please, if you can do me a favor, encourage the people to come back into the sanctuary, into the service after you've done the class." So after one of the classes, I say, "Okay, everyone, I'm just encouraging you all. Class is over. Go spend a few minutes pray with everybody else. Open up, you know, talk talk to Hashem." So one guy says, "Rabbi, I'm I'm, I'm going. I'm 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 leaving. Uh, I'm I'm going to head home now." I said, "What's the matter?" He says, "Prayer is not for me." So what do you mean prayer is not for you? He says, Rabbi, it's the most frustrating thing in the world to pray. So I come into synagogue. He says, I can hardly read Hebrew, but I do the best I can. I break my teeth. He says, but the entire time I'm running after the chazan. Where is he? Page this, page that, page this, turning pages back and forth. He says, he says, by the time I'm done davening, I feel like I ran a marathon and it's the most meaningless experience for me. I said, well, I hate to break it to you, but that's not prayer. Do you want to know what prayer really is? Prayer doesn't mean you open the Siddur. Prayer means you can close the Siddur, but open your heart. Open your heart and talk to Hashem. And I said, you're right. You don't need to be in synagogue to do that. You can be in your car. You can be in your house. You can be online at the bank. You could be at the grocery store. You can be jogging on the bayou. You can be at your office. You can be any place. Open your heart and talk to Hashem. That's what prayer is. That's it. Talk to Hashem. Hashem wants that relationship with us. Hashem doesn't need it. Hashem loves it. He desires a closeness with us. Imagine the desire a parent has to have a good relationship with their child. I don't want my child to be away from me. I want my child to be close to me. I want my child to call and my child to to love talking to me and to love spending time with me. My child is always running away from me. I'll feel hurt. Why are they avoiding me? A person should understand. We all need to understand. Hashem loves our communication with him. He doesn't need it. Hashem is not sitting there crying. He's saying, oh, you ate your whole meal and you didn't say thank you. Not even once. Hashem doesn't have feelings like that. Hashem doesn't get insulted. Hashem wants a relationship with us. Hashem is a constant giver. He gives us from the very first moment we were created. He continues to give and to give and to give with unbelievable bounty, with unbelievable shefa, with an abundance Hashem gives us oxygen every single second. You know, I I was once in total shock. I was at an event. It was a weekend retreat. And a nice hotel in Connecticut. And my wife and I were there. We flew in special for this uh, event. And before Shabbos, they have something called a Toa Meha. To taste the food of the Shabbos, it says, Chaim Zachu. Someone who's fortunate to taste the food of Shabbos, like the, the unbelievable blessing that, uh, of life that it brings to a person. So we're sitting there before Shabbos. It's about an hour or two before Shabbos and they have a spread like you can't imagine. And we're just enjoying, I'm meeting friends and hey, how are you? How's the things? And then I see this guy walks, comes in, not walks in. He's being walked in on a wheelchair with pipes and things attached to him. And then behind them comes in this guy with a crate with about 20 oxygen tanks. This guy, this individual, cannot breathe on his own. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Look how ungrateful you are. Look how ungrateful. Did you ever have to worry one time in your life that you don't have oxygen? Did you ever have to think of, oh my, I'm going away for Shabbos. I have to plan. How am I going to bring my oxygen tanks with me? Never thought about that. I never stopped to appreciate how fortunate, how lucky, how gifted I am to have the ability to breathe, taking a breath. Fill up my lungs with oxygen. The oxygenates my blood. It gets circulated around my body and I'm able to live and to thrive. Never once before that moment did I think about the tremendous gift of oxygen. It's unreal. It's unreal. It was a wake up moment. But the gift thanks for the air we breathe. I don't see anybody coming in here with tanks of oxygen. It's an unbelievable gift. How fortunate we are. Why does Hashem give us those gifts? Because Hashem loves us and he wants like a father, he wants to give and give and give because he wants to build the relationship with us. Hashem is a constant giver. And then when do people get upset? Oh. Why did I get sick? Why did I why did I injure this? Why did I hurt that? Why did this happen to have to happen to me? That's when we wake up, when things don't go perfect. Sometimes Hashem does that to wake us up, to realize how perfect we have it. Hashem gifts us sometimes with pain. Hashem gifts us with challenge. Hashem gifts us so that each time we're facing a challenge, we can grow from it. We can realize, you know what? Instead of looking at the stick that hit us, let's look at the person who, who's holding that stick. At the dog. You hit the dog with a stick. Of course, don't hit a dog. But if you were to do so, who does the, the dog get upset at? At the stick. And he starts biting it at the stick. What are you What are you going at the stick? Look who's holding the stick. Look who's hitting you. Why? He's trying to teach you something. He's trying to train you, whatever it is. We look at the illness or at the, we get upset. We realize it's Hashem behind it. Hashem is talking to us. Hashem is communicating with us. Hashem loves our relationship with Him. Hashem does not cry himself to sleep if we didn't pray that day. But Hashem cherishes it when we do. So, that's the hisbodidus that I just came from with Rabbi Brody, and I think if anyone has the opportunity, the privilege to do such a thing, take an hour out of your day. If you don't have an hour, you have 10 minutes, do 10 minutes. You have 20 minutes, however much time you had. He said, he brought from the Namalei Malach, one of the great Hasidic masters, where he would say that it's not an hour a day. He says an entire day out of the week. It's even more extreme. 24 hours in complete isolation to connect with Hashem. That's how severe the, imagine this, the 200 years ago, 150 years ago, when they didn't have phones, they didn't have beepers, they didn't have technology like we have today. What were the distractions? What were the distractions? There's so many distractions. The Ezra didn't suddenly become clever in 2022, 2023 to find new ways to keep us busy. And by the way, the doctor will vouch on this for me, these phones are doing terrible damage to our children. These phones are doing terrible things to their mind. It's not allowing them to develop the do- do- I asked the doctor a while back, I said, doctor, is it true what they say about the development of the mind? He says, listen to me. He says, every day that you can keep your child away from a phone, you're saving them. You're giving them the ability to develop their mind. And children, their mind isn't fully developed to what age? Till 20 years old? 22? 25? Unbelievable. And they're being busy. I, it's the saddest thing when I walk into a grocery store, to a supermarket, to a any place, and you see parents are walking around with a wagon and they have kids sitting. Everyone's seen it already. Kids are sitting in the in the seat and they're glued to a phone, to a device, some device, uh, an iPad, and they're just watching whatever it is that they're watching. And never mind the things that are being put in front of kids, the the Disney and all of those, and the poison that they're putting in there the innuendos, the messages. There's no more a wholesome family of a father and a mother. They're confusing our children. We don't know because we don't, we like let the kids just be busy. We just want them to be busy. It's okay, put them in front of the device, not realizing that they're poisoning our kids' minds. It's a crazy world out there. Hisbodidus gives us an opportunity to break away from that. It gives us an opportunity to connect to the Almighty without any interruption. Okay, so that was enough of a introduction. Now let's get to the meat of it, to the kosher pork. So we mentioned two weeks ago we brought in the Talmud, 109b in Tractate Chulin that Hashem created a substitute for every pleasure in the world whether it be physical, whether it be uh, material, whether it be food, whatever a person feels like, oh, how can it be Hashem limited me from such a pleasure? Don't worry, Hashem gave you a proper way to do it that you don't need to do the sinful way. For example, pig. We can't eat pig. The Torah forbids us from eating pig. And by the way, again, I know this was brought up last week, this nonsense, nonsense that people... Say that, oh, the only reason the Torah said that was because then, then back then, that trigonosis and the animals, the pigs had illnesses then, but today they don't. That's hogwash. You like that, right? That's hogwash, right? Yeah, that's a good pun. That's nonsense. And if there are rabbis who are saying that to their constituents, they are mesusim diach they are wicked evil people guiding people astray the torah has very harsh terminology for such people it's not true the torah tells us don't eat it because it's unholy because it is tamehulacham it is defiled it is impure and it is dirty. So, yesterday, I'm sitting right here at the Torch Center, and the rabbi had a, several meetings with people coming in asking advice. One of the people who came in is a hunter. And he was talking to the rabbi about his experience of hunting. And they were talking about the kosher animals, not kosher animals, you know. He says, Rabbi, I shot a pig once. He says, from the time I shot the pig, it wasn't even completely dead yet. The other pigs were eating that pig. You understand what's going on here? They're eating each other. They'll eat their own children. It, it, it's, un, it's unreal. There's no concept of cleanliness when it comes to pigs. Don't give me trigonosis. Back then, ancient Judaism didn't know anything. The Torah tells us to be holy. The Torah tells us exactly what kosher is. If it has split hooves and it chews its cud, you can eat it. It has to be slaughtered properly, but you can eat it. That's a kosher animal if it's lacking both of those credentials, it is dirty to you. Tamehu It's impure. It's unholy. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. It says don't even touch it. Don't touch their carcass. They're impure. It can also be, we can say in modern times, we know that there can be contamination from those animals. The Torah already tells us 3,300 plus years ago, don't even touch it swine flu, all of these other types of illnesses that come from those animals. It's not trigonosis. God says, it's not good for you. I created this world. Why would anybody want to outsmart the owner's manual written by the manufacturer? You know, there's not a single thing you buy today that doesn't come with a manual. I'll give you an example. I'm holding a cup right here. You see this cup, 12 ounce cup made by Dixie. Okay. There are instructions here. It says caution contains hot, contains hot. This is a hot cup, right? Contents hot. It's warning you. It's telling you you want to enjoy this cup. Be careful. You know what it also says on a, you open up a a bottle of soda. You know what it says? When you open the bottle, be careful. It might be a lot of pressure. It's carbonated water. Be careful when you open it. Don't face it towards someone, why? Because the the cap could pop off and hit someone in the eye. You want to enjoy it? There's instructions. Every single thing you buy, go to IKEA. You'll see Anything you buy, a microphone, a a, a cell phone, a computer mouse, a pen, everything will give you an instruction. Why? Because you want to know how to maximize pleasure from it. You want to know how to maximize pleasure. You want to know how to use it properly. This is what it was made for. This is what it's capable of. This is what you should, this is how you should use it. God gives us a complex world. Which is so complicated. I never saw a baby being born, but thank God we have eight children. Shem blessed us with the most incredible children. Not one of them came with a manual. How to raise this child. Not one. So how do we know how to raise our children? Shem gave us a manual and that manual is called a Torah. Hashem says, this is the manual for living. This is the manual for maximizing this project, this thing I gave you called life, this gift. You want to maximize it? Here's, here's the, uh, the manual. Now, what's if I say, listen, thank you very much. I'm really not interested in your advice. Okay. So you put your hand right into the cup and you feel what's inside it, then you burn your hand. That's what happens when you don't follow instructions. There's an owner's manual for a reason because it wants you to enjoy. And if you're not going to do it properly, you're not going to maximize the experience. It could be very painful. When you bought your Apple Watch, came with instructions, how to set it up, and how to synchronize it with your phone, well, uh- Mr. Apple, don't tell me how to use my watch. I bought it. I'm going to use it how I want to use it. You're just not, it's not going to synchronize with your phone. You're not going to be able to get the data that you want out of it for your health. It's just not going to work. Don't tell me. I bought it. It's mine. Don't tell me how to use my watch. Okay. It's yours. Enjoy. That's the equivalent of someone saying, God, don't tell me how to live my life. That's just fine. No problem. You have free will. It's the first gift God gave humanity. You could pick Jews. It says, The first thing Hashem created was Shemaim Va'aretz. Heaven and earth. You can pick a life of being lofty, holy, elevated, or you can pick a life to be earthy, materialistic. It's your choice. Shamayim and Aretz, your choice. Hashem says, listen, I'm giving you a manual, telling you how to live life, to maximize it to the fullest. It's not to make life difficult for us. It's not to make life painful for us. It's to make our life exhilarating. So someone says they don't want to keep Shabbos. It's sad for them. They're not going to maximize the experience. And this, the Talmud here is telling us that Hashem doesn't want a person who follows the owner's manual to feel like they're missing out. So God created a substitution for everything that you might feel you're missing out. Oh, I can't eat pork. Oy, I can't believe it. All my, all my friends are eating, uh, you know, those, uh, what do you call that, the ham sandwiches, and and I'm not. Well, I have to have the kosher turkey. I have to have the kosher pastrami. Oh, wait a second. Talmud tells us Hashem created a substitute for that pork. What is it? The Shibuta fish. So let's see what the commentaries have to say about this. For every food or act which the Torah prohibited, there is another food or act which the same pleasurable sensation as the resulting from the forbidden food or act, can be derived. And yet it is permitted, as Yalta will proceed to illustrate. Yalta was the wife of Rabbi Nachman. And she said, what is the substitute for piggies? Shibuta. This was purposely planned by God so that we would recognize that his intention in prohibiting any given item was not in order to deny us the pleasure inherent in that item. But rather, Hashem wants us to. So why did he say that's permitted, pro- prohibited? Why did Hashem say that's prohibited if he wanted us to enjoy? Because the ingredients of it are not good for you. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be beneficial for you. It's just like the manufacturer of the car tells you, don't put water into the gas tank. It's going to ruin your engine. Put oil, change your oil every five to 10,000 miles, rotate your tires. Who are you to tell me what to do with my car? It's my car. It's my Bentley. I spent my money, my hard-earned money on it. Don't tell me how to treat my car. Okay, don't. Not only that, is that if you don't follow the instructions of the owner's manual, guess what's going to happen? Now you also lose your warranty. You're going to come back to the manufacturer and say, hey, you gave me uh, my beautiful Bentley. I spent a lot of money. It's not working. I want you to fix it. He's going to be, I'm sorry. You put water in. You didn't put gasoline. It's out of warranty now. I can't help you with that. Someone complains to Hashem and says, "Hey, it's not working the way uh, it's supposed to." says, "What do you want? You, you violated the the agreement. You violated the warranty." But well, Hashem doesn't say that, by the way. Hashem says, "Guess what? Come, come get closer. We're gonna work this out together." So a person should never, ever, ever walk around with the feeling, I'm missing, I'm missing out by having my yarmulke on my head, carrying myself around as a proud Jew. You're not missing out. You will never miss out from it. That doesn't mean, by the way, that there won't be difficult times. I'll give you a a parallel to it. I I don't smoke. I'm not a smoker. Haven't smoked since I was 15 years old. So when I tried it a few times to smoke a cigarette and saw that I wasn't, I wasn't cool. So I was once in the Ukraine and we were about to have a Seder the following night. This is the night before Pesach. We're going to have a Seder with over 350 people and I was going to be leading. I was 18, 19 years old at the time and we had to schlep an entire busload of food into this auditorium. So we had about 10, 15 people there, volunteers, and they helped schlepping box after box after box, like 45 minutes of just like emptying out the entire busload of food so we can feed all these 350 people the next day for the Seder. And after we were done, everyone's schwitzing and everyone is... Everybody stood in like a circle and everyone was smoking a cigarette. And who's the only one not smoking a cigarette? Yours truly. There I am sitting there alone, not smoking a cigarette. And everyone's offering me here, would you like a smoke? Would you like a cigarette? Would you like a cigarette? No. And it was probably the only time where I felt a little left out. Like, you know, it's like everyone's enjoying themselves. What's seemingly enjoying? Okay. That could be counterfeit pleasure also. There's such a concept. But that's you know, it's like everyone's doing this and you're out and wherever, like just like be part of it. But the truth is, Hashem gave us a substitute for everything. So you can ask you know, what's a substitute for smoking? There's substitutes. Things that don't harm your health. Good health is maybe the substitute. Good lungs. All right, so the liver, we mentioned that the liver, the Torah says that you're not allowed to eat blood. It's an explicit prohibition. So you can say, oh, but blood is, t- is very tasty. Shem says, Don't worry. Torah says you can have a liver. Okay? The liver is made up entirely of hardened blood, and it tastes like blood. And that's permitted. So I want to ask you another question here. So Torah says, one this blood you're not allowed to eat, but this blood you are allowed to eat. Torah says you can't eat blood. So listen to how we understand the Torah. Listen to how we understand the Torah. Our sages explain that we know that the liver is not included in the Torah's prohibition against consuming blood because the Torah states do not eat it, referring to the blood, do not eat the blood you shall spill it on the ground like water. This implies that blood that can be spilled like water is prohibited. But the liver, which is made up of hardened blood, that cannot be spilled. That is permitted. Alternatively, our sages tell us that the permit to eat liver is derived from the fact that the Torah permitted the Kohanim to eat all parts of the animal, that are not sacrificed on the altar. Since the liver is not one of those parts sacrificed on the altar, it is permitted for consumption. So we see we have two different proofs that liver is permitted, even though it would seem that liver should not be permitted. Now, we also mentioned that the Talmud says that a man cannot be with a woman during her menstrual cycle a ni- it's, she's called a nida at that time a time of physical impurity okay a nida is a woman who has discharged uterine blood hymenal blood or blood which a woman discharges during certain days after giving birth, these are called bloods of purity, which do not render her prohibited for relations. Nowadays, even a discharge of bloods of pure blood of purity renders a woman prohibited. And Yalta's statement refers to the strict Torah law, not the rabbinic law. Now, the Torah states any chelev. Any fat of an ox, lamb, or goat you shall not eat. Now these are the three kosher domestic animals. The chalev of undomesticated animals is permitted. Okay? So those are the three domesticated animals. Now again, what is the Torah saying here? That you may feel you're missing out the chalev, the fat of a certain of, of animals. There's kosher ones. The shibuta, now that's the fish, that's the substitute for pork, is a species of kosher fish whose brains taste the same as pork meat. So if someone wants to taste pork meat in the kosher variable v- variation of it, it's a shibuta fish, which is a kosher fish. What is a shibuta? Good luck finding it. Uh, but that is... The, uh, thing. Now, the honest truth is, is that I really don't feel like I'm missing out. I never tasted pork and I hope to never, um, taste pork. I don't feel like I'm missing out. There's so much fantastic kosher food, such incredible delights, particularly when you have a, a wife, which I'm very, very fortunate to have that is a three-star Michelin chef. If they made a four-star or a five-star, I would give her that, uh, that uh, title, but she's really a remarkable cook and a chef and Eating her food is really outstanding, so I, I don't feel like I'm missing out anything. Anyway, but what is uh, the other example given here of something that someone might feel like, like they're missing out? It says Girusa lishna Dehavra. He forbade Girusa, but permitted fish tongue. What is Girusa? Girusa is a non kosher bird species. The bird is discussed above on sixty two B. Now, fish tongue tastes the same as girusa. And the commentaries assert that the word kavra does not refer to fish in general because surely not all fish tongues taste the same. Rather, kavra here means the name of the particular species of fish. The tongue of this species tastes like girusa. So I don't have 62B right here, but I would look up what those bird species are. Maybe we'll do that next week. Now, the Torah prohibits relations with one's brother's wife, sister-in-law, even after the brother has died or divorced her. If, however, one's brother dies childless, it is a mitzvah to take his widow in a leveret marriage. And that is a mitzvah. So while someone may have such an an urge or a desire to be with his sister-in-law, that would be prohibited. But the Torah says, if there's a scenario where the the brother never had a child from her, it's a mitzvah to upkeep his brother's house and to marry his wife. And that's the Torah tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 to verse 10. Relations with a non-Jewess is forbidden. So a non-jewish woman, a man is not allowed to have relations with a non-jewish woman. however, the beautiful captive captured during wartime is permitted under certain certain conditions. So just the general idea so a person can understand. So we consider this world is not just a simple world where we see things you know we read the New York Times and what whatever they say goes. that's not the that's not the reality of the world. What is the world that we're living in? The reality of the world we're living in, is that we have two components here? So we have a spiritual and a spiritual and a physical side that are in in existence in parallel realms. So a person is living a physical life. There's a spiritual component to that physical life. It says that the the let's call it the juice, the sperm of a man is considered something which is very very holy. And if a Jewish man is to inject that, that holy juice into a non-Jewish woman, our sages tell us that it's a very devastating thing. Why? Because here you're taking something which is considered holy and you're making it impure in the process. This is is something that a person should just think about, that it's not a simple thing. However, Someone has, has desires and temptations. The Torah in Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verse 10 through verse 14, tells us exactly the process of how one can marry a captive woman. So there's a system. Yeah, she's not Jewish. There's a pro- proper way to do it. Okay? I hope you understand that the purpose of this, everything we talked about, The purpose of it is so that we understand that a Jew is never missing out. Don't forget that we're the ones who are given the gift of this manual. The entire world has borrowed from our book. The laws in every single country are based on the teachings of our Torah. We shouldn't feel like we're missing out. On the contrary, we should feel a sense of pride a sense of joy that our Torah is the manuscript for this world. Every single nation has based their laws on our Torah. And if you go in further into the laws of you know, the laws of um of property rights, all based in the Torah. The Torah is not a document that was once relevant. Today, it's not relevant. It's an eternal document. And the things that didn't exist back in the time of the giving of the Torah, 3,300 years ago, oh, there was an elevator, so now we can do what we want because <laughs> there's new inventions. Everything, the principles are all laid out in the Torah. For any unforeseen instance, for any development, it's all already embedded in the Torah. We have to know how to extract it and to extract it properly. That's the gift of our sages That the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Halacha. They derive that. And you learn, learn the Rambam and you see the process of how Rambam uh, uh, arrives at his conclusions. It's unreal. So my dear friends, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening. And have a magnificent Shabbos.